Hello, I'm Harry. Hello, I'm Rory, and welcome to Games on Film. said my name's Harry but I think I'm more Harry One and you must be Rory One because that's what the users are referred to in the world of Tron. Yes. Not Mewtwo. Not Mewtwo. No we're doing Tron. It's episode 10 and we thought let's do a film with a T in the title. And ends with an N. Ends with an N. So you know we, we're pretty solid when it comes to our synergy here but also of course Tron is a milestone in video game movies isn't it? Yes, I, I would say so. Um, we are doing another uh, episode about a film which is not based on a video game specifically, but very much embedded in the world of video games, inspired by video games, mm. and one of our earliest examples. I mean, examples. If, you, if you were to say what's the earliest video game movie, I think most people will say this, so it might not technically be true. Yes, I, I think it's definitely the one which springs to mind when you think about it, and I think particularly because of its iconic imagery mm. very much invoking the style of arcade games at the time mm. using the resources that they had when this was made back in 1982 now, I, so I thought 36 I, years old 36 years old. i thought i had seen this film when it came out so what are your earliest memories of tron then well, I don't think I've actually ever seen this film oh. front to end. I've seen bits and pieces. It seems to have been on TV pretty regularly, usually on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon. Yeah, I think I must have watched this a few times horizontally at a weekend. <laughs> but uh, Well, just in bed or lying bed on a sofa or sofa. something. On a rainy Sunday afternoon. Yeah, too much to eat. So I don't think I've ever seen this from start to finish. And when I watched it for this episode, that definitely was confirmed through my viewing. My memories were always that I would watch maybe the f about five minutes, mm -hmm. maybe six minutes, seven even, but... Eight, nine, eight, nine ten. Ten. <laughs> but even still, I would watch a little chunk and get quite bored... Yes. And then just turn on to something else. Because as captivating as the imagery was to me as a child, the actual content was very dry. And so I was intrigued to see when actually sitting down to watch it properly this time, whether it was just, oh, dull because I'm a little child and I like whiz-bang stuff. I mean, this film only came out a few years um, before I was born, but even at that time, I feel like, you know, technology and even the pace of films had gone through considerable strides in mm. that short, short uh, period of time. So I was intrigued to, in revisiting, well, revisiting for the first time this film, whether it would invoke that same reaction in me. Yeah, I remember seeing lots of bits of it on I mean, you see all these documentaries about the movies. And when you talk about movie special effects, of course, this film comes up. 
But yes, I do. I definitely had seen it in the past. And then I saw it, I think, uh, maybe when I was in university. So I was like 15 or 16 years ago. But as a kid, I remember thinking, this looks like the most exciting thing in the world. So why am I not excited? Hmm. I remembered everyone. I mean, the light cycle stuff, which we'll get to, is is still phenomenal. And it was definitely the best bit as a kid. And there's a lot of the games seems a lot of fun. But yeah, I agree. Kind of. A lot slower, a lot more lethargic than you think. See, I assumed the whole film was based on the mini games, which are contained within. Mm. I thought Guy gets. We'll go through the little plot <laughs> in a little bit, but it's like Guy gets sucked into computer realm and has to compete in a tournament of various different games. Mm. But actually, that only makes up a small portion of the film. Mm. And incidentally, I have seen Tron Legacy. I mm. saw that at the cinema. And I, it's interesting to sort of revisit, well, to go back to this first film and piece together my thoughts of what it was, what I think it was based on seeing Tron Legacy and just seeing how it actually stacks up. Yeah, I saw Tron Legacy, um, which will get its own episode in the future. Yep. But I saw Tron Legacy having not seen the original for some time, and I was left a little bit confused. Uh, for this episode, I went to the Prince Charles Cinema, one of the best cinemas in the world, to see both Tron and Tron Legacy back-to-back. And it was um, maybe sweet relief when Tron Legacy started. <laughs> but uh, I have since then watched it on DVD the 20th anniversary DVD released in 2002. <laughs> and my opinion has sort of changed since seeing it in the cinema. So, um... yeah. Would you like to read the back of the of this hallowed 20th anniversary DVD box to set the scene? Yeah, I'm sure you want to hear about all the five hours worth of features and everything. <laughs> but um... And uh, remember, spoilers for Tron mm. coming up in this episode. And probably Tron Legacy, so, you know. Anyway, uh, when Flynn... Jeff Bridges hacks the mainframe of his ex-employer to prove his work was stolen by another executive. He finds himself on a much bigger adventure. Beamed inside by a power-hungry master control program, he joins computer gladiators on a deadly game grid, complete with high-velocity light cycles and Tron, Bruce... How do you pronounce his name? I'm going to say Boxleitner. Bruce Boxleitner, a specialised security program... Together, they fight the ultimate battle with the MCP to decide the fate of both the electronic world and the real world. Really? That's not what happens. Um, yeah, to an extent, I suppose. <laughs> I mean, I think we, we always sort of see these bots as they slightly blow out of proportion exactly mm. what the, the states are. Yeah, it's not always the fate of the world, is it? No, no, not everything can be. We're fighting for the fate of the world! <laughs> One million computer systems in the United States. Inside every one of them is a startling new world. When Kevin Flynn, a computer genius, unlocks the dimension beneath the screen, he becomes a prisoner in a world of his own making. The world of Tron. Dimension 
expression you have never seen, a name you have never heard, a vision you could never imagine, a world of heroes and villains, where energy lives and breathes. One thing I thought about as this film started was Star Wars. Um, so this is 1982, so the Star Wars trilogy was in full swing. I think a lot of studios were trying to get hold of the next Star Wars. And um, what Star Wars was, it's, it seems amazing to think about this now when you just see, I mean, on my bike ride home, I saw two, three Star Wars t-shirts. So it's just omnipresent now. But when the first film was released in 1977, I think Star Wars was famous for just dropping you into it. It gives you a little bit of um, of an opening crawl and then you're just there. Now, Tron tries to do this, but I think very badly. <laughs> and um, I just, watching it in the cinema just felt like nonsense speak. They talk about microcycles and, and blast to bits and bit brains. And it's like, what are you talking about? The first five to ten minutes are very um, front-loaded and mm. top-heavy. You kind of zoom into the arcade screen. Yes. It sort of starts... It's the first shot you kind of... Well, there's always whiz-bangery and the title <laughs> comes up. Mm. And then you zoom into some people playing a light cycle game. And then you zoom into the screen and then there's people inside the game. So kind of like Wreck-It Ralph in that we're looking at the inhabitants of this video game realm. Mm. I did notice how in the light cycle game, the light cycles would cycle off the screen <laughs> um, to out of view of the actual player. Okay. So that makes it a little bit difficult. The light, the light cycle game is basically like Snake. Snake. It's two player Snake. Mm. Um, Could you imagine like riding a snake in, in the world of Tron? That would be a good thing for the Tron 3. All I'm saying is why haven't they done Snake the movie? <laughs> Could do. Gosh, All terrifying. about a giant snake. Which keeps growing. Which keeps growing mm. and anyone who tries to run into it gets obliterated. Oh. Anyway, we, we digress. We see... what is it a tank battle we see first? No, it's a, it's a light cycle I battle. I think it's light cycles we see first. Mm. And we see... Well, this was where it gets confusing. And we're only like 30 seconds into the movie. <laughs> well, okay, I, sorry to interrupt, but I think one of the things about this film you've got to remember is that for all intents and purposes, computers are magic for the viewers of 1982 and and nowadays everyone who's anyone has got like a, the most amazing computer in their pocket and, and and know what programs are and things so there are times where i think my my night my 21st century brain oh it's a 19th century brain my 20th century brain <laughs> is it made of 21st work? century brain what brain do i have <laughs> but there's times where my modern brain clashes with what the film is trying to present, but I have to remind myself the film is also trying to speak to 1982 general audiences. But I don't see how 1982 general audiences would understand what the heck was going on, mm. because surely someone who knows more about computers nowadays would maybe have a bit more of a grasp, but you are just thrown into this light cycle chase and stuff just happens just <laughs> you know and then there's like a kind of rogue computer program in there and jeff bridges hacking 
and it's just you don't understand what these games are who these people are until you know a good sort of 15 20 minutes in no I, i'm so i'm remembering now so sark we introduced sark for the first time where he's racing he's racing around in a light cycle and he takes somebody out and then he has basically a meeting with the mcp which is the master control program which i have to keep not calling the npc non-playable character no. And he also looks like Moses from South Park as well. Well, yes. I mean, I think one came after the other. <laughs> but, but I think we were probably more familiar with Moses than we were Tron. And we've got David Warner, who's been in everything. Star of Wing Commander. He, yep, absolutely. And um, I think David Warner is just brilliant. Yes. And I think in this film he is also brilliant <laughs> i think yes it's definitely playing to the british villain mm-hmm. um stereotype I, a little bit but i, I think proof of that stereotype as yes well. yes sure sure but also i think he is certainly operating on a kind of particularly as sark he is operating on a sort of flash gordon level of camp sort of villainry just like give me someone i can really cycle against <laughs> i'm bored yeah what could i play with today give me a real challenger i suppose but and talking about the dialogue i i'm interested to know who actually wrote this and this is stuff i should have researched beforehand but i don't know what you really wrote the writer wrote beforehand because this this film is obviously just a long tech demo isn't it i as well as watching this film twice over i watched the feature-length documentary and the bulk of the documentary is understandably about the creation of the special effects and how a lot of it was rotoscoped. Although the computers are the important aspects, the computer graphic stuff, and there's a lot of it, surprisingly so. I couldn't believe how much computer stuff was in this film for such an early film. The, the, all Most of the human stuff is animated and rotoscoped and all the documentary is about that, really. Very little stuff in the documentary is about the plot and I... I just don't know who wrote the dialogue because uh, it seems very lumpen. So there's people in the video game, mm-hmm. people, and but it's not just a video game. And this is another thing which I didn't realise was the film is that this is a whole internet network world, pre-internet internet. Well, that's, MCP seems to be accessing arcade game machines. Yes, but the video games are only basically there's different computer files. Mm. different programs out there you have your spreadsheets you have imagine if you would you have mr word mr excel mrs outlook (laughs) uh all these computer programs all existing in the shared computer space Mm. but the video games are just paperclip bastard yeah where's clip it (laughs) fuck off sentence him to death (laughs) so you have all these programs Mm-hmm. Uh, operating, but then you also have video games as like a sideshow mm. to this. So the action we see in the film is not just taking place in a video game; it's taking place in the network, the grid, yeah, or or, or whatever. So the idea is that the people we see in the light cycles yeah. are just computer programs which were meant to be doing something else, mm. but they've been forced to battle in. Sort video of game an execution realm. type yeah. a little bit uh, gladiatorial well, yes okay is how it's described on the back of the bots but there's all these kind of portentous sort of pseudo religious stuff happening mm. in the background and again this is all really in- introduced really kind of 
you know, in the film without much explanation. And I quite like a film which does that. Yeah, I think mm. we mentioned in Ratchet Ralph, like people saying going turbo and all this kind of stuff. But I feel like the start of this film just loads that so much and so heavy that your brain just kind of mm. clamps up I and mean, it's just like, I don't know and I don't care. If this film was made today, there would be all these tie-in novels and tie-in comics and things. I'm sure there were at the time for this. No, actually, there was a bit of marketing hype behind it. And talking about a religious side of things... Yeah, I mean, it's quite an interesting idea. The idea is that they, um, do you believe in users? users? Yeah, and that's users. rather endearing. That One of the, I think it's Crom, early on, the, our first two characters were properly introduced are Ram and Crom, who are two programs, and Crom says, oh, my user's going to be really angry. And I was like, no, that's, <laughs> that's rather sweet. But also, he's a, he's got a religious nut. And as the film goes on, they're, they're, they're repeatedly said called religious nuts for believing in the users. And it just struck me how in modern films, religious nuts would not be the main characters. We're kind of, we're kind of faithless now, aren't we? <laughs> in so many ways. I guess, I mean, I think there's sort of parallels a little bit. I mean, not necessarily religious nuts, but they are sort of rebels believing mm. in something or it's fellowship of the ring or mm. it's it's someone where the good is represented by people who have belief in this one thing to I mean, to do, stop the greater evil are all thor's friends religious nuts because they believe he exists does <laughs> <laughs> um it's kind of interesting God's but, amongst men. but the um the whole concept of users and, and the religious aspects did did come from the to come from the writers. Yes, of course they came from the writers, Harry, you idiot. Came from but, real life. Um, no, but watching that long documentary, they did sort of convey how um, they were thinking about the computers of the time and, how, and what programs' relationship to um, the programmers might be. So you can see why they they came to that. But what um, did you what did you think about the uh, how it's portrayed in this film? How the users, the people we see in the real world of this movie, which we kind of haven't really got to yet, mm. are played by the same actors as the programs. Because mm. I found that I can see why. And in a way, I sort of get it and like it. But at the same time, it kind of annoyed the pants off me. Particularly at the start where it's like, is that Jeff Bridges? Is that Jeff mm. Bridges? It's Clue. Oh, no, wait, but is that Jeff Bridges? Because he's wearing a hat, and so I can't tell whether that actually is Jeff Bridges. And then he does a weird scream, and then <laughs> maybe he... Yeah. I yeah. mean, obviously, David Warner is David Warner in the real world and in the film. Not real David Warner, does, but his does, character. Does David Warner know he's real in the real world? <laughs> but I think the idea was, is that, you know, you have all this information. So, you know, in our world, if Tron were real, there'd be a little... Rory running around the internet and there'd be a little Harry running around the internet and we'd be whatever software we use I suppose most maybe I don't I don't know <laughs> that's very interesting Rory <laughs> I don't know uh, it is it's a bit strange isn't it I mean I viewed it as a Wizard of Oz kind of thing that's what I want to do because they uh, there's this yeah. I believe there's definitely Wizard of Oz parallels intentionally or unintentionally and... I think that's probably the best way to go about yeah, they want they film. they want to just make it seem they yeah they want to just make use of their actors really. Though talking about the relationship, I did find it sort of left a bad taste in my mouth. How uh, we are introduced uh, to Jeff Bridges's character Flynn with the title intertitle. Uh, meanwhile, in the real world, and he's leant over his computer 
and he's controlling his program Clue, yes, um, played by Jeff Bridges again, in a little tank chase. And um, it ends up with Clue being seemingly destroyed, again, with that horrific scream, a proper, <laughs> like, I don't know where that came from, but it was a distressed scream. Um, and um, is, he, is, is that he's derezzed? Is that what that is? Well, I thought he was dead, but then he shows up a little bit later on. Okay. But, but the, the idea is that they, that's what it's called, derezzed, yes. as if someone is de-res- deleted, de- I de-res- suppose. Yeah. Um, but it did leave a, a bad taste in my mouth because um, we effectively watched his child die and Jeff Bridges slash Flynn is just like, oh man, that was my best program. And this just seems a bit like... Do you cry every over every file you delete? They would be if they screamed. But he doesn't know that. It's like when you listen to um, a dandelion when you, or is it a daisy when you um, pull its head off? You can hear it scream. Try it, listeners. Try it. Okay, Clue. Tonight we check everything in the right-hand column. Come on, come on. Where are you? Yes, sir. Clue, we don't have much time left to find that file. This is top priority. Yes, sir, I know, sir. This isn't just correcting my bank statement or phone bill problem again. This is a must. I understand, sir. Now, I wrote you. Yes, sir. I taught you everything I know about the system. Thank you, sir, but I'm not sure... No buts, Clue. That's for users. Now, you're the best program that's ever been written. You're dogged and relentless, remember? Let me add him. That's the spirit. Now, keep that tank rolling, and I'll try to cover you from this end. Go. The clue, he he appears a little bit later on being tortured for... Is it for information? Uh, I think they're asking, yes. who is your user? Who is your user? Because um, Flynn is trying to access uh, the MCP's memory to get proof that um, the human baddie Dillinger... Um, also David Warner. Also David Warner. Um, he wants to get proof that Dillinger stole his game um, ideas ideas his, and stuff like that his software mm. he was a software thief but it does seem rather upsetting how just casually he um he just dismisses his programs and mm. i mean who does he calculate he is <laughs> yes yeah, a style like that which um <laughs> makes you kind of roll your eyes and you just think what audiences in 1982 who didn't like these computer type things must have thought although it just reminded me obviously i mean heavily indebted but it just reminded me of the tomitron 3D, because oh. that has similar kind of tanks. There's, mm. you know, the tank attack game was was similar to that. I so. imagine those are based on uh, those are based on Tron. So, um, as you mentioned, we meet Jeff Bridges slash Flynn in the real world, and it says "Meanwhile in the real world," which is I could kind of tell <laughs> it's the real world actually because he's not wearing a skin tight outfit. I think it's maybe just meant to relax audiences that look, this isn't going to be the how whole the whole film. movie is. Yeah, it's a bit of a shock to the system. I did find it quite cute how Flynn says to Clue through his computer screen or whatever. He says, "You're the best program that's ever been written." It's like, what does "best" mean? I mean, <laughs> like the best program at what? That's a very small greetings card section. <laughs> the best program. But anyway, he, he doesn't really it doesn't really work, does it? Him trying to access the MCP's memory. We're swiftly introduced to the target of his ire, uh, Encom. Encom is the company he used to work at, mm. now run by the aforementioned Ed Dillinger, played by David Warner, 
And he, you know he's cool because he arrives in a neon chopper. It's the most amazing helicopter. It's a helicopter with red neon strips. It is like more futuristic than anything in the digital world, actually. Yeah, it's probably the most impressive thing in the film. I know, this is 82. I think you can sometimes think of this film as like mid to late 80s, but no, it's... uh, a and helicopter also, kicks ass. And he also has a massive desk with a table computer, which you still see in movies nowadays mm. and people going, wow. But no, he had touchscreen and, and a computer mm. monitor he's, inside his giant obelisk of a desk. He's definitely had sex on that desk as well. Either with know. somebody on, on his own, maybe just the MCP I mean, whispering sweet readouts into his ear. I mean, black computer screen monitor mm. you know they need a, a lot of detail to, to <laughs> wipe that surface fun- fingerprint city um, but print city so i think at the moment we kind of like did a lot more than we do uh flynn maybe it's our britishness which... maybe it's our britishness maybe yeah well, i'm not a fan i mean skipping ahead a bit but um flynn's ex and her current uh, squeeze um meets Flynn in his office and he like almost immediately takes his shirt off to exert his authority. Hey, I mean like, yeah, because he's the ex of Alan. Is it Alan? Alan mm. Bradley? Alan Bradley's Yeah, so let's just talk about our, like, I guess, three or four main characters. We've got yeah. Flynn, um, who we've already talked about a lot. And then we've also got working at NCOM, uh, Corey. I think, was that her program name? No, her name is Dr. Laura Baines. Dr. Laura. But I'm pretty sure we never found out her name because I did not hear it being said once. Oh, in like the real world? Yeah. Yeah. um... In the game, she's called Yori. Yes, in Yori. Okay. Yes, we're introduced to her while she's being old mansplained by, uh, about technology by um, the old bloke called... Dr. Walter Gibbs. Dr. Walter Gibbs. Um, who also plays Dumont. Yes, the sort of um, the. I mean, if talking about Wizard of Oz, his program is effectively no one gets to see the wizard, not nobody, not know how. He's definitely an NPC, and he wears a big penis-shaped hat. Yes, I mean, respect. <laughs> <laughs> and then the the last good guy is um, I was weird. I mentioned Alan, who's developed the program Tron. Now, and he also portrays Tron he, in the game world. There's this interesting bit where. Alan is working on something and someone asks for his popcorn. Yeah. Get off my popcorn, bitch. <laughs> it's a bloke who says that. So it's it's not sexist but to call a, a bloke a, a bitch, is it? But a guy says, get off my popcorn, bitch, in Tron. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Which version of Tron do you see? Tron, um, get off my popcorn, bitch, extended edition. Yeah. Anyway. The odd thing about the Tron franchise is that it's called Tron. <laughs> now, Tron was developed by the special effects company, the computer company, which, um, you know, spearheaded this film. He was like a character... I guess it, he was the equivalent of Pixar's Lamp. Luxo uh, Jr. Yeah, he was the equivalent of Luxo Jr. And he, he showed up in like an advert or something... Um, and they wanted to make a film based around Tron. And so, I mean, it's a cool name, Tron, but he is in the game world. Tron is this kind of computer goody two shoes type fella. And He's... I'm sorry, just to interrupt the, and his, his human character, Alan, is a bit of a dork. Why, why is this franchise revolving around this guy? I guess guys, Tron is a cool name, but yeah. He's just a wet blanket. Mm. 
in the real world, he's... I, I mean, I guess it's like nerd wish fulfillment, but in the real world, he's he's pretty wet. But in the game world, he's also a bit of a drip. Yeah. So it's like, it's not like, oh, but in the game world, I'm like super mega cool. It's like if your dad wrote a program, it's <laughs> like, it's hanging around with your dad. He's adventures. all your dads. I mean, our dad's quite nice, but still. <laughs> <laughs> your dad is a Tron. <laughs> so yeah, interesting that. I mean, that I think that's perhaps why... If you're trying to see why this film wasn't a massive hit, there's, there's a few kind of story choices, the way it's filmed, the way it does feel like a massive tech demo for, for like, oh, how long is this film? Is it like 90 minutes or two hours? It's 90 minutes, it but it feels longer. feels very long. I think one of the things where audiences don't click is that, I mean, if Tron was like a cool-ass hero, then perhaps it would have been more of a hit. I mean, he's very good with his identity disc war type thing. He's got some moves, but that's kind of it. He, I mean, and, and his human character, he doesn't own an arcade. He doesn't try and hack. He's not like a genius million who, who's deserving of millions. He's just Alan. But it's it's strange because Flynn, you, you, you don't really know where your main character allegiances lie. Flynn is sort of the outsider in the sense that they recruit him to to help with their task. Yeah. And in a way, it's really just for his own personal gain. It's like, why did they go to him to help him hack in and get access to this level clearance? But they're also just like, and also at the same time, you can prove that uh, Dylan just stole the game mm. software from you. So why did Alan want to access... Well, so Alan is Alan's still working at Encom, mm. and he's he has to report to Dillinger because his access has been denied. He's developing the Tron program. Mm. The idea is that he's developing Tron as an independent security program, which could sniff around the dodgy dealings of the MCP. Yes, I, I, but actually, I think one thing we've not really made clear for people who have not actually seen the film is um, in the real world, M the MCP is basically artificially intelligent. It was originally a chess program, mm. but that has since been modified and now it's growing... Now it can play checkers. Yeah. <laughs> Minesweeper. Backgammon. Mm. Hover. <laughs> Gosh, leaps and bounds in technology. <laughs> um, space pinball. But basically, yes, he's, he's assuming incredible intelligence and is basically blackmailing... Dillinger now mm. uh, saying, oh, I'll release all these naughty things that you did mm. um, because now I'm in control and you can't stop me. Mwah, ha, 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 ha. Mm. And so, but they both conspire to, to uh, block uh, Alan from using his Tron program to sniff around the dealings of the MCP. And so Alan goes to Flynn to... To hack. To hack Which is in. a word you did not expect to hear in a 1982 film. We're like, ooh, hack. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Can you think of a cute synonym? Which could have replaced. I, he definitely hack didn't invent the word hack to get into a computer. If there's an earlier in use of the word hack in a film, let me know. I mean, hackers. When did that come out? <laughs> when did hackers come out? I don't know. Well, actually, hackers has a pretty similar idea as to how the internet is represented because mm. this film, uh, particularly at the start, does these parallels where it's city skyline mm. in the dark and all these lights uh, are I think works really sort well. of lighting up. But that's also like the kind of the grid and the circuitry. And in Hackers, it's very much like skyscrapers of electricity I mean, representing the internet. I mean, the look of this film is it was, um, I mean, obviously any film's got lots of people designing stuff, but 
some of the big cheeses in this film were um, the French artist Mobius and yes. uh, also Sid Mead, who I think is famous for a lot of the visual look of uh, a- is it Aliens and also Blade Runner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, some some geniuses there at the height of their powers. We have our main characters, and, and they go to Flynn, and you said that basically. They're trying to access uh, the NPC and access Tron and get through this level and uh, work out what clearance. Why Dillinger is acting so stiffly? Just, just about the arcade sequence. When we return to the arcade, the first establishing shot inside the arcade, there are two old fogies, some trying to work out where the hell they are. So keep an eye out for when we first enter the arcade I didn't again. Spot that. No, at the bottom of the screen, there's all these kids in a conspicuously smoke-free arcade. And if you've been into an arcade in the 80s, it was just full of smoke. But there are these two people in their Sunday best walking around, just looking like completely lost. So that tickled me. But yeah, we meet our Flynn at the arcade. We show what a great game he, a game player he is. Yes, he's playing Space Paranoids. Now, what what is a paranoid? Because I googled it, and obviously it came up with what a paranoid person was. But space. Well, I guess it's meant to be like androids, mm. and they're kind of floaty android robot. It does things. sound like it could have come out of the eighties. Yeah, because, it's, I think it's hey, like it did. it's like arcanoids. Or oh, something. Yes, I think I it's just trying to um, emulate that. But yeah, we're, we're introduced to Flynn proper. And yes, he does take his top off in front of his ex-girlfriend mm. and her current boyfriend pretty <laughs> quickly. Yeah. But he's definitely... I think the reason why... It, it, like trying to work out the main character. And he sort of seems like the outsider at the start. But then he becomes the main character. And he's meant to be a little bit your audience surrogate. Yeah, he's he's the, the cool, irresistible, charismatic Indiana Jones slash computer mm. programmer, sexy arcade owner, cool rebel hacker. <laughs> you kind of, you can see how you want to be him. Yeah. In reality, you'd be a bit like comic book guy. I think that would yeah. be, I mean, there's that famous, um, the, one of the most famous early memes in existence was Tron Guy. Uh, yeah, uh, Tron guy in Tron would be all kinds of epic, but I do. The thing is, is that yes, he's got the most kind of fun character to play. I guess apart from being the villain, mm. but it is true that he does kind of act everyone else off screen. I think it's a very charismatic, engaging you performance. S- you say that, but when they are all three of them breaking into Encom. He's just a complete liability and he's dancing he, around and he's, he's being a bit of a knob. Yeah, he's doing a little... I liked his little sneaky run. He was doing proper cartoon mm. sneaky footsteps. I he kind know. of expected the music to go like... Dun, 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 <laughs> dun, 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 dun. I don't know. I think I... Um, maybe I was still annoyed with him by how much he um, didn't care about Clue. But um, I just found him increasingly annoying. And uh, it's, I, it's definitely one of those kind of movies where the woman is the love interest oh yeah i mean they say about group seven access and doesn't like he say something like he had access to you too or oh something about the girl. yes that's gross yeah <laughs> and then you know skipping head a bit at the end of the film flynn just basically kisses what's kisses name? yuri kisses yuri who is definitely tron's girlfriend and then Tron meets up with um, Yuri again, 
basically says, oh, we she she said, oh, we thought you were dead. It's like, um, <laughs> interesting. There are some sexy computer ladies at one point, which some... Well, you don't see any computer ladies for a long time. Mm. And then they go to, like, I guess the first town mm. or city. And they have some, I guess, computer prostitutes. As, as you would. I mean, I guess this is where I'll start talking about it. These uh, costumes everyone wears... Don't leave much to the imagination if you're a bloke and are very kind of unsexy if you're a lady. Now, I'm not going to say that, oh, you got to be, you know, all ladies have to be sexy in films and, and neither do all boys have to be sexy. But it just, I mean, you, where they went with the sequel with Tron, they tried to make everything look hip and cool and, and kind of like skin tight and badass. And in this, the programs look shite <laughs> well i think i think part of it is the you know the design with mobius design mm. and things and i feel like it is sort of it's not futuristic in a way it's this sort of mythic yeah mythic it feels kind of ancient rome yeah, ancient true. greece um oh. land of of strange myths and beliefs and slightly maybe a kind of marriage of folky hippie culture meets the future mm. um in this idea of a kind of strange paradise beyond our realm i guess with, with the gladiatorial thing it makes sense but i did wonder if the main reason flynn wears a sort of tunic throughout is to give the rotoscope people a bit of a break there's less to rotoscope yeah because of the the way they did the blue lines um in in tron legacy the later film they shot it on digital film at low light and then had these lights these leds built into the suits so um and that's something you only could do with modern technology not only because of light technology but also digital photography um but with this one they filmed everything black and white and pretty much had to um there's like a backlight projection technique that they used to to create the glowing and you know it looks not perfect, it looks kind of fuzzy, um, it doesn't look super great, but like I said, uh, I guess when I was a kid I did think everything looked cool, and, and just today, not so much, <laughs> not so much. What he get, the, re, the way Flynn gets into the digital world is via a terrifying laser, which seems <laughs> to be a 1980s mainstay, if I think that was def, I feel like that prop I have seen in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. I don't kids, th- kids. Sorry, <laughs> it wasn't in Harry and the Hendersons, was it? <laughs> uh, yeah, they shot John shot Lithgow and he turned into a Bigfoot. Yeah, he turned into a Bigfoot. Um, no, I'm thinking something like that must have shown up in Inner Space. And um... do you think there was just a big laser crisis, well, like just how artificial intelligence, <laughs> robots, and people are? terrified of new technology did someone say and look we've got lasers now and then suddenly oh lots of anti-laser movies were made well at some at one point the um the doctor the old doctor gibbs dr gibbs he explains how the laser transfers things into the computer and i'm not sure he knows how a laser works because lasers don't go inside people he talks about how it's, it sort of digitizes all the just the object, but I'm wondering if it really. I mean, lasers will, will stop at your skin, surely. And so, 
I, I wonder if Jeff Bridges' skin would be transferred into Tron. By his, it's just like a, a, short, a, a stool with just a short pile of, a short pyramid of guts. Or maybe, yeah, it just is skin and there's just like screaming Jeff Bridges, just <laughs> muscle and sinew yeah. and blood and bone. Just like, yeah, just like awful, awful, like with lungs. <laughs> anyway, that's, um, I'm sure that was rejected by Disney. They decided to go. Mm. Yeah, so the MCP basically starts arguing with Flynn mm. and... Stop, don't do that. I like that a lot. It's, yeah, um, he like he's the the voice work I think of the MCP was that also David Warner. Yes, that was good. I like I like the sort of bored sarcasm of it. He just seems, I mean, he's obviously meant to go pay hyper intelligence, and he finds almost um everyone just absolutely beneath them, and I I really enjoyed that. I'm just going to hack the Kremlin now. <laughs> but yeah, he does. The only time he starts to lose his cool a little bit is when Flynn starts to uh, hack him, and so he. Uh, he sends him into the uh, game grid. You'd think he would then decide to get Sark, who's his second in command. Yeah. So why doesn't he get Stark just to execute Flynn? Because he says, uh, train him in the drones, give him some hope, then blow him away. Mm. He wants to meddle with him and torture with him. I suppose. A little bit. There's a degree, I suppose, of he, he MCP... I mean, if, if users are gods, he wants to make God suffer and um, prove his how he's better than God, as as we all do, really. Yeah, I, th- I think, you know, when Sartre finds out that he'll be battling a user, he's taken a bat. So I guess, in a way, uh, the MCP wants to just see how programs cope with users mm. as a little bit of experimentation. Testing their metal. I've got a little challenge for you, Sark. A new recruit. It's a tough case, but I want him treated in the usual manner. Train him for the games, let him hope for a while, and blow him away. You got it. I've been hoping you'd send me somebody with a little bit of guts. What kind of program is he? He's not any kind of program, Sark. He's a user. A user? That's right. He pushed me in the real world. Somebody pushes me, I push back, so I brought him down here. What's the matter, Sark? You look nervous. Well, I... It's just... I don't know, user, I mean... Users wrote us. A user even wrote you! No one user wrote me. I'm worth millions of their man-years. What if I can't... You'd rather take your chances with me? Want me to slow down your power cycles for you? Wait! I need that! Then pull yourself together. Get this clown trained. I want him in the games until he dies and play. Acknowledge. Acknowledge. Master Control. End of line. But when uh, Flynn gets sucked in, the visuals go all out. It's kind of like Mm. 2001 for kids. Mm. Um, it's just <laughs> lots of... I watched 2001 when I was a kid, and well, I was two, also bored. I think 2001 is, <laughs> is a U certificate, maybe, mm. or at least a PG or anything. It's technically suitable for kids, but I sort of feel... <laughs> a b- technically suitable, 2001. But, yeah, it, it, the parallels are actually, you know... I mean, obviously, 2001 is heralded as a masterpiece of cinema, and Tron... Less so, a mm. cult classic, perhaps. Mm. But I get the same sort of feeling from 
both. Well, yeah, here's the thing. As I said, I, my uh, first rewatch of Tron was on the big screen at the cinema. And the special effects, the CG in this film still, I think, looks fantastic. Because they did that clever thing where they didn't go too far. Um, they just made all the graphics very simple. I think is it vector graphics is the correct terminology. It looks great. And on the big screen when he um, enters the digital world and you see this planet with um, different surfaces and different like different countries or islands floating everywhere. It looks absolutely fantastic. And I wonder if the, fe- the effect would have been more pronounced if... Um, we hadn't seen the computer stuff right at the start. If, if the, our first proper interaction with the computer world was now, whether or not it would be just a little bit even more exciting. Still, quite effective. And he arrives in a dark room and, and bits of the room starts to load up. And yeah, it's kind of cool, kind of eerie. From this point on, we are in Tron world, whatever it's called. Is it called The Grid? I know it's called The Grid in the sequel. I think that's more of a sequel thing. Okay, well, uh, yeah, whatever. We'll call it The Grid for ease. Okay. We spend the rest of the film in this grid, pretty mm. much. Mm. Did you think the film would have benefited, or is it still good that we don't go back and forth between the real world and the game world? I understand that they talk about what's happening in the grid as being nanoseconds, the idea that time hasn't really passed much in the real world mm-hmm. while this is happening. That sort but do of you... thing doesn't make sense because, you know, he's um, at the start of the film, he's uh, programming a tank and talking to a tank and the tank's kind of responding. Yeah. That's a bit wishy-washy. Um, I mean, that's just what I assume. That's what mm. I gather from, from, yeah. the di- uh, from the dialogue. But do you think... Because basically we abandon real-world Alan... And Laura, not that they're the most interesting characters in the world, but they just pretty much piss off. Mm. <laughs> and Flynn is left to do all this stuff in the in the grid. And there is some communication between Tron and Alan. We infer later on mm. when they get to the I/O tower. Do we re- do we return to um, Dillinger at all at any point no, during the film? No, not just... not until the very end. One hundred percent Tron. It's pretty throughout this sort of sequence so do you think the film would have been i mean i kind of felt like we were missing a scene where alan and laura go where the fuck is flynn (laughs) and they go like where is he oh he's in the game oh maybe we can help him out oh maybe i can control this and maybe we can help him out or send him like a power up i think i think i think it might have cleansed the palette actually i hadn't i hadn't considered that but i think you're right i think as i said earlier this film it does feel a bit like a, an overlong tech demo. And mightily impressive tech for the time, for sure. But um, I just feel like once it gets past the light cycles sequence and Tron and Yuri become more of the focus, the film really, really slows down mm. and sags. And you're left... You don't have your outsider perspective anymore. You're just left watching basically... NPCs, you're watch, you're left watching a cutscene almost, mm. and I feel like maybe a trip to the real world in between might have just broken that up mm. a little bit. Yeah, I mean, you got do you could have to admire just as I said earlier how much digital stuff there is um, and how much CGI there is, and um, I mean, I think 
I always, I mean, as a massive Star Trek fan, I, I know for well in 1982 was also the release of uh, Star Trek Two, The Wrath of Khan, which had a, a CGI sequence in that, and that was has been very much celebrated. But that sequence is only about 60 seconds, and there must be I don't know how many. It, I think it was yeah maybe about 15 20 minutes hmm. of pure se- because they the technology didn't exist where the CG could be interspersed with the live action. So mm. when you see CG in the film it's just on its own. There's just oh, okay. it cuts to CG but you don't cuts notice. to humans. No, not not really. I think there's some hand drawn animation mm. in there which kind of papers things over. I think those little um game grid bugs or whatever they're called they look like hand-drawn animation as opposed to computer animation you're talking about the bits no there's like the spider things oh right yeah i think that's hand-drawn animation oh, okay. and then there's cg is like the light cycles and stuff but you don't see cg and human sharing the same frame as okay. it were but I, I saw the facts were in terms of those cg moments i think they only had two megabytes of uh, space Okay. And 330 megabytes total for memory for the computer that they used to develop the CG. So basically three episodes of this podcast was like the amount of space they had <laughs> to develop the whole... Wow. Uh, the memory on the machine that they, they had to make uh, Tron. I know what our listeners would have preferred. Three episodes <laughs> of Games on Film. Yeah. <laughs> Flynn is um, now... He realises he's on the game grid... And he gets put into jail for a little bit with Ram, where he gets to meet Ram for the first time. He's in like Flynn. He's in like Flynn. Um, and, you know, Ram is a hes a bit of a dork. What's your, what are your thoughts on Ram? Because he is a religious nut, just like what the guard said. He's, what, uh, an actuary program? He's all mm. about for an insurance company? Is that his bag? Yeah, he's... um. Yeah, don't like him. Not bulb. <laughs> no, he's a... He joins uh, Flynn on his adventure a little bit later on. But after just a couple of minutes, um, Flynn is brought in for the first game. And um, Flynn uh, and sort of announces that he is going to be really good at these games, but he's great at video games. And, you know, he's a bit of a newsflash. Being great at video games does not mean you're good at, like, physical games. Yes, I'm not sure it's transferable skills between wiggling a joystick and pushing a button to what is a kind of combination of hurling and Mm. squash. Yeah, long story short, both Roy and I were pretty good at international superstar soccer back at the day, but we ended up not playing in the World Cup this year. So, you know, it's it's kind of all bullshit, Tron, really, at the end of the day. <laughs> but I don't know what's going through Flynn's head. Um, they, so he, he Flynn is in a, a sort of a... It's not Disc Wars, is it? It's um, like a ball toss. It's like a version of Pong in... Yeah, yeah, kind of. Kind of. On Against Crom, who we met earlier. And both Flynn and Crom seem to be kind of enjoying themselves, even though Crom knows this is life or death. Well, I guess Crom thinks he's really, like, hot shit at disc yeah, wars. he's got a chance, I suppose. Um, this did stick in my memory, though, when um, uh, Flynn realises that this... Um, what happens is they they fire these balls at each other and um, each time the ball hits the floor, a bit of the floor disappears and Flynn realises this isn't a game. (laughs) This ain't no game. This ain't no game. Um, He realises that it is life or death and he refuses to go any further. Sark decides to execute Crom. He just lets Crom's floor disappear and he falls to his death. 
and he thinks about executing Flynn when he's stopped by the MCP. He wants, he wants the MCP wants Flynn to suffer, and so we move swiftly on to the next game. So it's quite quick this bit. But are we to suppose that the games that are being played are they being controlled by users by players the start of the film has two people playing an arcade machine Mm. one of them's controlling i guess a user who gets obliterated by sark who i guess is the cpu so when we have flynn and crom playing against each other are they being controlled by people are they being controlled by sark are they on their own are they playing a game when the arcade is off Toy Story, Wreck It Ralph style. Yeah, I mean, this is just like a lot of a lot of innocent programs to get through. It seems. Is um, this the kind of demo that you see when you are not haven't put any coins into the arcade machine? I suggest that you just uh, don't think about it and try to enjoy yourself. And that goes for you at home. <laughs> yes, I think this falls into the whole uh, sort of magic sort of thing. Um, we just. I think the film just wants you to sort of forget about the real-world connotations now that we're in here. I mean, again, the, the, these bits are the bits everyone remembers, really. It is the the disc wars, um, the the game that Flynn did, and then the light cycle. And, and as I said earlier, the light cycle bit has always been the bit everyone thinks is badass. But you, you forget just how sort of short it is. I mean, they play the game and they break out of the of the game and they mm. drive around in their light cycles a little bit longer but it doesn't take up a huge chunk of the running time of the film but yet it is the iconic thing so much so that mm. when Tron Legacy was being teased and trailed it was light cycle light cycle light cycle mm. well I mean it doesn't outstay its welcome in this film and I would actually say the light cycle sequence in this film I think sort of surpasses the sequence in Legacy I mean certainly Legacy looks better but um, I think what makes this the sequence so thrilling is the 90-degree angles, which yeah. is a technological limitation. But when these cycles are right next to each other and then the one just ahead turns 90 degrees and you've got a split second to turn 90 degrees, you're watching it and you're going, huh, huh, huh. Particularly with that POV view mm. where suddenly that uh, open space that you had that narrow corridor is now a wall and you have to turn to manoeuvre out of the way. It's why, you know, well, actually these mini games, there was a Tron arcade game mm. uh, released to tie into the film and it did incorporate some of the games and, and things that you see in, in mini games and light cycles was part of it. But you can see why that was done in a top-down view and not a first-person view because it probably would be impossible. <laughs> Yeah, but I still think it skirts the realms of, of believability because when you see a wall ahead of you, um, when you're in this light cycle, you know you've only got an optional left and right. So it's actually one of those things where you've got a split second to react, but it's still just like a binary choice. So I know people go on about the blue-orange aesthetic uh, when everyone talks about movie posters where it's just mm. blue and orange, blue and orange. Do you think Tron invented blue and orange um, <laughs> together, I... like Portal? I don't know. I mean, they say in this sequence, gold one, blue one, which is, is just totally Star Wars, that, isn't it? Oh, do they? Okay. Yeah, they go gold, gold leader, blue leader. Um, yeah, it's just three quite distinct colours. And um, But yeah, as you say, it's uh, quite brief. They smash a hole through the wall and... Ram, Tron and Flynn. Escape. And it's a good thing there was like a corridor on the other side of that wall. <laughs> good thing it wasn't just solid wall. 
I mean, this is also where the most, one of the most famous Easter eggs appears. There's a little Pac-Man which appears, makes a noise. It was very obvious on the big screen, but yeah, well, my audience all giggled like, oh yeah, Easter egg is Pac-Man. <laughs> but at least kind this has been meta in a way. Mm. It's a cute reference when, you know, maybe people weren't necessarily maybe Pac- doing that as much as they do nowadays. This Pac-Man works for Sark, maybe. What's, what's, I mean, what's Pac-Man's deal? We've got now two pac-man cameos mm. there's definitely a couple more coming up yeah, in other films pixels that we to look forward to yeah there's an oh what was the other one i was thinking of it'll come back to me lazy pac-man there's a pac-man references. tv show on netflix i see are no, we, we no, gonna cover that no no i watched but i've like, watched i've watched hours of the show i watched 10 seconds and that was too much oh, you're just not committed that's your problem like 10 episodes in and I learned this. Maybe um, uh, maybe episode 100. You know what you, can you do need? do a special Pac-Man TV show. You need to find a lake of glistening water to energise yourself. Because there's a sequence where they get off their bikes. They find, I guess, are we going to call it power water? What are they called? Yeah, power juice. Power juice. And they start drinking out of it. And this is definitely the kind of... A pointless scene. This yes, this is. I feel like this is definitely maybe the sort of post seventies hippie ideal Mm. kind of feeling coming into the film, and it just feels very weird. Where it's just three, three guys lying on their stomachs, very excitedly drinking water. It reminded me a little bit of Big Trouble Little China when you know they drink the. Uh, sit demon bag mm. or whatever uh, and that, that's, that's, that's to energise them that's to make them super kung fu see people. things no one else can see yeah. do things no one else can and do this one it's just Gatorade well I mean later on Ram sadly kicks the digital bucket do you think he's an Aries what <laughs> what does that mean <laughs> Ram oh okay I get it <laughs> No, he's a, a Gemini. I don't know why I pulled that out of thin air. What was I going to say? Ram kicks the bucket. Ram kicks the bucket for, and I know he's he kicks the bucket after crashing his light cycle or having his light cycle zapped. But because these are programs, they they can't really show them bleeding or having any sort of problem. So um, when they're drinking this power stuff. I think they might glow slightly, but they, yeah, it doesn't seem to have a massive effect. And when he's dying, he doesn't seem to be that poorly either. I just, I think their light throbs, but then their lights throb quite a lot throughout because of just having to paint the cells mm. of the animation well, or there's, a, there's an interesting um, glitch which happens, because this was all filmed on film, obviously, because of the time period, but... Um, Due to a quirk in the film stock or how they were using the stock, they were, I mean, getting a bit technical here, uh, film cans get delivered in a certain sequence because there are slight variances in the quality of the film. And so you need to use it in sequence so it's barely noticeable. Well, they didn't do that in Tron. Ipso facto, there are bits when the screen seems to flash. And this would be a big old problem in the live action movie, but because it was set in the computer, Anytime there was like a weird flash, they just added like a bzzz to it to make it seem uh, like a computer. So put a cork on it, is something Ram says. And I did make me wonder what cork, if Ram knew what a cork was. There's a sort of, there's both old school and new school tech in this film. And you've got the programs talking about bit rates and all sorts of things. They've never used the phrase cork. Which, uh, oh, okay. I didn't, I didn't spot that. <laughs> Digital champagne. 
<laughs> digital champagne. So um, they decide to ride the light cycles again because the goal is to get to... Do you want to go to the MCP? They want to go to the IO Tower. The IO Tower. The in-out so, tower. So Tron can communicate with his user, Alan. Yes. And what do you and think Alan's is... doing during all this? Kissing his girlfriend. <laughs> Kissing his hand. <laughs> Practicing. So this is the part of the film where basically Flynn is left behind I mean, we're, a bit. We're struggling a little bit because it's it's this, there's just a sequence of kind of chases where they do that kind of running they did in the Star Wars prequels where they can't run terribly fast because they'd, they'd leave the, the, the stage, as it were. So Yeah, they just run from... Uh, left of frame to right of frame mm. and then cut to them running from a different left of frame to a different right of frame. It's it's just at this bit where Flynn is a little bit, you know, the crash for light cycles, Ram is dead, he uses his user skills to rebuild a floating space paranoid robot and pilots that around for a bit. Which looks like a space invader basically. Yeah, so. yeah. Mm. Well more like the space raiders Transformer snack or oh, something, yes. but I I sort of feel. Imagine if you fell into the world of snacks. Oh well, that's almost that's like sugar rush. Uh, exactly mixing. Well, that actually, you know, maybe maybe a world of crisps. <laughs> the world of crisps. I mean, sugar rush is one thing, but what about like savory rush? <laughs> I don't know. You where know, it just goes like Bombay mitts. Yeah. Can you imagine like Tron sits Tron Tron, Tron Legacy and crisps. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's a sequel to Tron Legacy. What? Really? <laughs> Crisps. Tron Legacy, in association be... with Pringles. No, I mean, it's a quantum leap, isn't it? This was a quantum leap in computer special effects, but no one's used crisps in a film. In a, in a film. We shot this film entirely with crisps going through the camera. Careful, they're ruffled. <laughs> oh, anyway. Yeah, it's just at this point where the film... Tron becomes the focus. He meets up with Yuri in the IO Tower... They go and see Dumont, and it just kind of slows down because you're now focused on characters who speak in computer speak, who act in the computer realm, and there's just the connection with the audience is, is lost. They basically go to Dumont and... Demand access to the IO Tower because, I mean, we've kind of skirted around this. The whole crux of... The situation in the computer world is how it's kind of like now a fascist state and you kind of have to do things the MCP's way or you'll get killed. Derezzed. Derezzed. And so everyone's dreaming of having just a, a free open system again. And that's the kind of argument Tron uses to gain access to the uh, IO because the, the person standing at the door or basically sitting in this weird... Dune-esque type, awkward, weird... Rotator pod. Rotator pod. I don't know. <laughs> he's kind of like Homer Simpson in his moo So he's... Where the hell's the energy? <laughs> he's an old program and he misses the good old days of the free system. And that's what Tron uses to gain access to IO. And then... But how long has this program been existing? Which is what I'm saying about, you know, how time passes far slower in the computer realm because he says i remember you know i'm an old program you used to be a chess program but that surely was only like a year ago i don't know a year two years 
Yeah, um, again, maybe don't think about it so much. I mean, jumping forward to Tron Legacy, I think they definitely act like it's only happened. Time moves um, quite quickly in, in the digital world and it all happens in the blink of an eye in the real world. Alan, Tron's user, is not speaking in slow motion or anything like that. Well, yeah, like, so, yeah, we don't see Alan, as I mentioned, in the in the real world, but at this point voice. he... Well, yeah, but it, it, uh, do we hear his voice or is it just Tron's voice? Because they've got the same voice, because they're the same no, I person. I think he, um, he enters the IO Tower and uh, raises his identity disc, which is sort of the iconic image of the poster. Oh, uh, yeah, we haven't even talked about the identity disc. The Frisbees. Basically, we've got Frisbees on their backs and yeah. that's it. But what does our identity just do again? It's basically everything they do is recorded onto the disc. Yeah, and they're told if they lose it, they'll get derezzed. Okay. And then they all, but they still use it for like scooping up power juice. Yeah, and throwing it at people <laughs> at and people. hope that it comes back. Yeah, it does have sort of a Captain America style ability. Oh, maybe that's Captain America's identity disc. But he he gets a communicate. His disc is given. What is it given? It's given like the program required or the or the data required to take down the MCP, and yes. he basically needs to take it to the MCP to um, get to the end of the film. <laughs> <laughs> um, With this disc, you can get to the end. You can get to the credits. Yeah, this. Uh, yeah, welcome to Warp Zone. Basically, yeah, throughout I... all this whole time, Sartre's men are in pursuit of them, and it's just very kind of tedious long chase in mm. the end Flynn reunites with Yuri and, and Tron, Tron when they're floating on the big star sailor ship and they they pass a, they all... a hidden Mickey yeah there's a Mickey Mouse in the in the uh, grid beneath them as they float across made by CGI blobs yes the um, first computer generated Mickey Mouse hooray um, I guess you can tell we're really enthusiastic about that I mean, but I feel like it's just this whole this this is the part of the film which which loses me because it is just a bit tedious. Mm. The film is just slowly making its way to its climax. It kind of pits up a little bit more when there's some action happening, but yeah. you know, there's once that one Flynn bit, there's, reunites, there's a, there's a fight on the solar sailor, and um, I think Tron takes out a couple of baddies. And then the third baddie decides, rather than being killed by Tron, he will just kill himself, which is really weird. It's dark. <laughs> I would, I would try, I'd try my luck with Tron. I'd rather be killed by a Tron than by my own legs, uh, jumping off a solar sailor. But yeah, I think, I mean, it's pretty the solar sailor, and it's one of the things to return in in Tron Legacy. But yeah, it's not the most exciting form of transport. More light cycles. <laughs> More light cycles, please. Um, yeah, we could have done with maybe 10, 15 minutes of this cut. They eventually get to the MCP's domain, and we see the MCP in the flesh, as it Sartre's, were. Sartre's vessel crashes into their star sailor, and oh, yeah. Sartre so, fights Tron. I mean, there's a, there's a few bits of, of, of special effects shorthand in this. There's um, there's that, this, this, this crash is meant to happen. But we don't see the impact. I think it sort of fades out, doesn't it? And and I suppose that's just because it would be too difficult to animate these two things colliding. Mm. Sartre's ship hits the goodies. Yes. And they say, is Tron dead? I guess he was derezzed in the trash. Mm. But the that. others escaped. Mm. And Sartre's like, take them to the MCP. But 
Tron did survive, I'd guess, and then battles Sark in a disc battle, mm-hmm. not like a breakdance battle or something. <laughs> they just f- fling discs at each other for a bit, and in the process, Tron smashes open Sark's head and he bleeds crystal gems. That's kind of cool, though, because, I mean, in, in so many big boss fights, they usually kind of go keep going up and up and up. And I know, I know, I know. Sark eventually turns into a giant, but I was, <laughs> I was kind of surprised that he, sort of Tron does. They try the same thing like two or three times, and like the third time it works. And that third time is I'm gonna fucking get you in the head with my disc. And yeah, it's kind of grisly. Basically, what happens is they as they approach the MCP, everything gets derezzed. But Flynn, because he's a user, has user powers. And manages to break him and Yuri out of prison. Mm. And when we keep saying the word user a lot. In the modern day, the word user has sort of more sinister connotations when people are like, you know, oh, he's, user he's just user. a user. Maybe that's why I found Flynn a bit distasteful at the start, because he's just a user. I mean, well, I, it kind of is, because then he just kisses Yuri. Oh, yeah. And then he totally macks on Tron's misses. And then just jumps into the MCP. Yeah. Big beam. Yep. And, you know, we've skipped over the fact that Sark abducts, like, 40 old men and um, and drains them of their life force. I mean, to be honest, I, if I was going to drain the life force from anyone, I'd start in, like, a creche or something. But um, after Sark gets a disc to the head, um, he's turned into a giant uh, and decides to try and squish Tron. Is it Tron he's fighting this time? Yeah. Yeah. Um, he tries to. I mean, this is what happens when you've got two sort of main, sort of identical main characters. Apart from the fact one's got a big T on his chest, and the other does he? Tron has got a T on his chest. Really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't notice. Well, it's got a missing bit. This changes everything. This changes everything. Is, the, is it uppercase or lowercase? It's T? a capital T for Tron, Mister T, idiot. <laughs> He's got a Mister T on his chest. He's got a Mr. Oh, if only, if only if he's holding, he got trained. What if chains. Mr. T was in Tron? How would that be? Go, Harry. <laughs> how would that be? I pity the Flynn. Guess what? The goodies win. <laughs> yeah, Flynn jumps into the MCP. He seems pretty and... confident that jumping into like a, a light of a, a light tower of death is actually not going to kill him. But that sort of stops the shield, and so Tron can insert his disc into the MCP mm. and that destroys the MCP also unlocks the proof that uh, Dylan just stole his computer games and which... <laughs> yeah they, they also unlock um, game completion achievement yep I mean, who, who knew jumping into a computer would make the, the information you're looking for poo out the other end it's probably a lot easier than using some computer software packages mm. and also just let me in there th- this this evidence is basically a, a printout i mean i can do a printout saying yeah saying that um could I, you not just type it I up cre- on a typewriter i created facebook <laughs> computer says i win yeah so back in Gameland, flynn has disappeared but yuri and tron are reunited and so Flynn has kissed Yuri. Yuri gets to kiss Tron. So they're back together happily ever after. But the last thing we see of the game world is all these IO towers lighting up. Mm. And I guess we're meant to assume that this is what they wanted all along. 
which is we don't know what the world was like before Stark and MCP took over. So is this like a kind of hmm. brave new world? Is this the future, the paradise they dreamed of? Connected. It's, it's just everyone's a... toasters starting to speak to them. Is that what he's trying to say? Well, I'm just it's it's just a little bit fuzzy as to yes, they, I know they want to get rid of the MCP, but what about after? It's like any revolution. Well, once you've dethroned the king, once you've gotten rid of the dictator, there's a power vacuum. <laughs> How is that filled? And I guess that's what Tron Legacy kind of is about. But in the context of this film, for the people watching it now, now being 1982, you sort of wonder what happy ending this be. Well, that's a good theory, but I think it just represents how now everyone has access to level seven. Oh, great. <laughs> I, think, I think it wasn't the MCP or Dylan just stopping, um, stopping people being able to access the computer. So that might just but represent... But that's people at NCOM. What about the game bit men? Well, it's strange. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming this entire thing's taking place on NCOM. And that would work, but for the fact that we also seem to... We start the film in Flynn's arcade, so... So the IO towers they're seeing is just like, oh, look, I can go over to shell or i can go over to <laughs> the pentagon the pentagon or i can yeah go over to sony <laughs> anyway yes flynn is restored back to reality yeah and um he gets his little printout and he looks very happy he looks very pleased um and it's got one of those curious 80s endings where everyone's happy because they are now a ceo Um, do you think but it happens so abruptly Mm. it basically cuts from him running around like he's got the golden freaking ticket because he's got this printout which says he invented video games Mm. then it cuts to the next morning I guess Dillinger goes to his office and his computer table tells him what happened and he looks very forlorn Mm. and then the next thing we see is Alan and Laura on top of the roof of NCOM and, and the helicopter almost hits it. Yeah. It flies um, right up next to it. Flynn arrives, mm-hmm. looking very flash, carrying a briefcase, and says, Greetings, programs! <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, I've got a bad feeling about this. And then it ends. I mean, I guess we're meant to assume he's become the CEO, because now he's, he's in the chopper, and now he's got a briefcase, and now he's wearing a terrible suit. He's stolen the helicopter. <laughs> So, I, I mean, I guess we're meant to assume that happened, but this this ending, the real world after all this time in Tronland, is done in about 30 seconds. Well, it's a little known fact that um, the whole film is CGI, including the stuff set in the real world, and it's just 1982 photorealistic special effects. Wow. You, you can tell by the giant hair. <laughs> they just didn't know when to stop. No. But uh, when he says greetings a- programs... Do they know that he went in Tronland? Well... Did he tell them? Do they believe him? That's a very interesting idea. He says idea. greetings programs, and they are like kind of, ha ha ha, not like, what the hell is he talking about? So did he just say, oh yeah, I went into video games and this digital laser that we have. Um, maybe, I don't know, we can use this technology now that I own the company to just zap people into video game land. Or fruit, as is, as is demonstrated in the start or of the Or oranges. We can get rid of the world's fruit. <laughs> Finally. I hate it. You can put an orange on a floppy disk, (laughs) and then you can put it in the post, and then you can send it to a friend, 
And then they can re-atomise it and bingo, they're, orange. They're starving kids in Africa. Do they have computers? No. <laughs> then don't send them food aid. Send them 1982 level BBC Flop, micros. Floppy disks. <laughs> Anyway. Just care packages of thousands and thousands of floppy disks. So... It's like, I've got a banana. <laughs> I've got a computer to download it onto. Yeah. Um, I feel like we kind of meandered around this film a little bit. Um, to the best of our... I mean, we've done our best, I think. It's... <laughs> it's Okay. We've Maybe done, one we've, of us did our best, or... I I, no, no, no. I, I think we've... We, we tried, but I... Yeah. I I'm not sure so, whether we succeeded. I mean, this is obviously a very a film which is very beloved by a lot of people. And when I saw it in the cinema recently, um, I found it a real slog. Were the people in the in the audience? Did you get the impression that they were fans of the film? Uh, they already knew the film, or could you not tell? Well. It got a polite applause at the end, but just judging from the kind of people going in, I think a lot of people were going in to see the sequel more. And like I said, it felt like a bit of a slog because it'd been so long since I'd seen it. You didn't know when it was going to end. The, the The scenes don't seem to have much momentum to them. So, I, yeah, you, you do feel like you're kind of just... It's just going on and on and on and um, with no real direction. But when I saw it again on DVD uh, just the other day, uh, I did enjoy it a bit more. But I will admit I took a break. It's a bit too much for one sitting. It does try the patience a little bit. And so I feel like I would recommend it for its historical importance and this kind of a cute window into how computers were viewed back in the day and how video games were viewed back in the day. I mean, it's difficult to recommend in one sitting. <laughs> um, what do you think, Rory? Sort of sort of similar. I kind of feel like, yes, this is a very cherished film amongst certain people. And I was trying to watch this film picturing myself either A, as an audience member of the time, or B, someone who liked it and enjoyed it as a child and trying to, you know, put it alongside other films, which I loved as a child, still love now, but with the benefit of hindsight, could see someone coming to this film anew would maybe not enjoy as much. Mm. I think we like a lot of crappy films when we were kids. Yes, because it's the the kind of thing, I mean, when you were younger, growing up at this time, you know, you didn't have streaming, you didn't have all these options to see all these films. You probably only had you know, a set number of videotapes and you would just watch <laughs> that cassette again and again and again. So you'd end up seeing the same film hundreds of times and mm. kind of whether you liked it or not, you'd probably just become so accustomed to it and so used to it that it's hard to view it kind of objectively because it's tied up with so many good memories. Yeah, I love uh, Supergirl far more than the Superman films and I haven't seen them since I was a kid. Kind of reluctant to do so because I know it won't be a good experience. Yeah. So I I felt that way about Tron. I thought I was going to be bored out of my mind just based on my small encounters with it flicking through channels. Mm. I did enjoy it a lot more than I expected to. Did you watch it all in one sitting? I did. Okay. I did watch it all in one go. 
there's a good sort of 30 minutes post-light cycle pre-finale, which is a bit of a drag. Again, maybe a trip to the real world to sort of intersperse, break up the action would have helped. The fact, fact is, is that I found the real world stuff kind of more interesting. I mean, at the end of the day, the uh, Alan and Laura... They are inside a building they should not be at that time of night. So there could be this whole bit of tension as they're being sort of chased by security a little bit. Yeah, or being found out. I mean, it would have been very rote and... and but we would have liked it more. <laughs> I mean, it would have been just like functional as opposed to... I mean, they could have maybe done something interesting in that section, but I, I would have understood it being very functional, but the function would have maybe benefited the film as a whole. Like the Transformers movie, I was enjoying that film until the robot showed up. Sorry, you're talking about the cartoon, or oh, the Michael Bay one. Yeah, the Michael Bay Transformers film. Everyone's like, robots, robots, robots. But I actually enjoyed all the character stuff. And then as soon as the robot showed up, I was like, bam, not interested. A bit like Wing Commander. <laughs> I was more interested in the dialogue stuff. But then as soon as they went in a spaceship, I was like, special effects, boring. And I sort of <laughs> felt this with Tron. I enjoyed... All the start stuff when it's just them messing about trying to work out what's happening. I liked all the David Warner being an evil corporate villain stuff. Mm. But then as soon as they're in the game realm, I sort of just... It gets Switched just, off. Yeah, the, the, the you know, ironically. It's just the pacing slows down, the plot grinds to a halt, and you're left with some, you know, captivating, cool-looking imagery, but not much meat. Okay. I guess if you grew up with it, then we won't really hold it against you for loving it. But no. I think we saw it just a bit too late. But we'd be genuinely interested to hear from any listeners who just really want to tell us about why they love it. Um, so we're going to tackle Tron uh, Legacy in a future episode. But coming up next is another film which has a bit of, uh, a bit of racing involved, you might say. Yes. You might say, because it does. (laughs) In light the light cycles of Tron, we'll be looking at another high-speed vehicle. Mm. Um, Movie. Not not made of light, but of metal and rubber and Aaron Paul. (laughs) (laughs) It's the need for speed. Yes, we'll be tackling the big screen adaptation of some people's favourite racing franchise, mm. video game series, I guess. Not. If you're a fan of breaking the speed limit, then this film is for you, apparently. And if you are a law-abiding citizen, then do not watch this movie. No, don't! It'll just make you really angry, especially if you work in traffic <laughs> policing. Yeah, don't end up watching Fast and Furious and then we'll listen to our next episode because you won't know what the hell we're talking about. Or they might be exactly the same. <laughs> if there's a lot of talk about family. Dominic Toretto, Dominic Cooper. Oh, yes, Dominic Cooper's in this. You're in, you're in for a treat. Um, <laughs> always pulled a face at me. Dominic Cooper is great. Come on. Um, we haven't done Warcraft yet. Oh, yeah. Gosh, is that, are we going to give like a golden joystick now to like people who have been in multiple video game movies? Who, who would go under that? David Warner. He's a. What's David Warner also been in? Wing Commander. Oh, right, but is it? Is it oh, he's in and the he film. Was in Tron. See, I, I got, like, Wing Commander, the game mixed up with a movie again. Yeah, he's in both. And in Tron. Okay. In a third one? The Rock. He's in The Rock. No, sorry. <laughs> I, I thought, is David Warner in The Rock? 
Yeah. Oh, The Rock. Okay. The Rock is in two video okay. game movies. Three. Oh, we're waiting. We're waiting for the. Th- we want the. Th- He's in three video game movies. Jumanji. Okay. Boy, I'm going to make a spreadsheet. It's going to be amazing. It's going to have David Warner and The Rock in it. So watch Need for Speed and join us for our next episode. But in the meantime, you can email us, gamesonfilmpod at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at gamesonfilmpod, facebook.com slash gamesonfilmpod. You can also contact us via our regular Twitter handles. Mine is at Rory Steele. Mine is at Only Man Who Can. And you can find us on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash gamesonfilmpod. All episodes available wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to rate and review and subscribe to us mm-hmm. wherever you listen to your podcasts. And the music for our podcast is provided by David Lightfoot. Hooray! Hooray! Um, so I've been Harry One. I've been Rory One. And that is... End, end of Line! line. Ha <laughs> <laughs>